You're listening to the Jer Prendergast Podcast. Jer is an ultra-endurance athlete and professional coach whose accomplishments include winning Deca UK Ironman and completing multiple extreme endurance challenges. On the podcast, Jer chats to top endurance athletes as well as athletes in other sports about their sporting background and achievements, what drives them to succeed and what they've learned along the way. The podcast provides top tips on training, nutrition, recovery, and how to build an indestructible mindset. And I went to Kona and everything being going really well until four days before the race. And, and I was out testing, sort of just like, you know, the last last adjustments, time tra- um, TT helmets on and, and, and everything just, and I had my head down and I was on a massively wide hard shoulder just I was doing 45k an hour at least and 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 a car full of tourists had stopped to take some pictures on the roadside and, and I didn't see it and I went flying into the back of it and I was lucky enough that I was on the outside and hit the bumper and went continued just went out into the road rather than stopping um, and the worst of it was that um, my partner and my dad were in the car behind me and they had the window down they were screaming at me but because I had this time trial helmet on and I just couldn't and the wind in Kona I couldn't hear and, and anyway the race was over uh, there was no way I, but I got away so much more likely than what could have happened that is Emma Billum Ironman Cork winner and this is the Jer Prendergast podcast hey guys and welcome to another episode of the podcast this is an interview I got to to do with Emma Billum who won Ironman Cork in 2019 and we'll get into that episode now shortly but just before that I want to give a shout out to the podcast sponsors who are Wheelworks Bike and Tri Store and Wheelworks are based in Front Hill Retail Park and it's the biggest and best triathlon store in Ireland by far and anybody who does triathlon in Dublin or in around Dublin knows the shop well and probably has gotten all their triathlon gear from the store just like I have as well. Um, I've been using the store since I started triathlon and I'm proud to say that I've become friends with the owner, Rob Cummins, who um, has an episode on the podcast as well. If you haven't heard that already, go back and check it out. Rob is a savage athlete and his story is one that um, is, is really, really brilliant. And he talks about it at length in the podcast so as i said if you haven't checked that out go and check it out now uh 60 a day smoker to kona finisher two-time kona finisher so yep that's the podcast sponsors wheelwork bike and Troy store in font hill retail park so today's episode was with emma billum emma is a professional triathlete who lives in switzerland um, she won Ironman Cork in 2019 and you know, anybody who does triathlon in Ireland is well aware what happened that day in terms of the weather. Uh, horrendous weather forced the organisers to cancel the swim that morning and uh, it was a rolling start on the bike and then obviously the marathon in absolutely downpours, bucketing down on them and it looked absolutely freezing as well i was watching it here on telly and you could hardly uh, make out who the camera was on um such was the the, the amount of rainfall so it was crazy weather um 
you know, it was a, a very, very tough race for all involved. And the course itself, minus the weather now, take that out of it. The course itself is, is really, really tough. Um, Emma talks about Windmill Hill being one of the toughest hills she's ever cycled. And she lives and trains uh, around Lake Geneva. So that'll tell you the the toughness of that Ironman Cork bike course. Um, so, yeah, we talk all about uh, Ironman Cork. But before that, we also talk about... As you heard in the intro there, um, an incident she had at Kona. So she talks a little bit about that. And uh, she talks all about how she got into triathlon as well. And drops a lot of advice on what it takes to become a professional triathlete. Uh, Emma's a lovely, lovely person. And that, again, comes across in the uh, interview. She's very, very humble. uh, Doesn't even class herself as a professional triathlete. Like, that's, you know, that's insane. That shows how humble she is doesn't class herself as a pro triathlete but is an Ironman Cork winner second in Ironman Zurich and Nice I think it was as well so she's top top class so I hope you really enjoy this podcast and thanks for the feedback the recent feedback really appreciate it if you have any kind of you know comments on how to improve the podcast I'd really appreciate it and of course I'd really appreciate some five star reviews on iTunes and um i don't think you can do five star reviews on spotify but i think you can do some kind of review on it anyway but yeah really appreciate those and thanks for listening again so enjoy the podcast and talk to you soon hi emma welcome to the podcast hi thanks for having me nice to have a uh bit of a link to dublin yeah a few yeah. times <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you've been here, what, three, have you been here three times? Well, one in Galway, uh, which we'll talk about later, but you've been here in, in Ireland a couple I, of times at yeah, least. I've you? done, I did the initial edition of uh, 70.3 Dublin. I did Challenge Galway, which didn't last either, and and I did Ironman Cork. So. I've done, you done Hell of the West as well, actually, didn't you? Uh, in Australia. Oh, that's us. We have one of them here. You as have well. one. Okay. In Kerry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, it's, no, it's, it's down beside where um, Cork is, so it's, right. it's fairly rough, and it's well known here as being one of the tougher triathlons. But the, the two you're talking about, the half in Dublin, that would have been, I think, 2015, if it, it was the first one. Been. Yeah, it was one of my first pro races as well, and yeah, it wasn't my best race, let's put it that way, it was an experience, a yeah. wet one. As yeah, usual. that's right, I've done that one as well, and uh, do you mentioned the... Um, the Challenge Galway one as well. I actually want to talk to you about that one in a while, but I've done that one as well. So a couple okay. of things to talk about now as well. Um, but in, before we get into triathlon, I just want to talk about kind of um, the, the restrictions with this pandemic that's going on around the world. Here we're kind of restricted. Um, well, our, we've had a few more restrictions put back on us here over the last week over the last few days and um it's just a bit mad you know but i'm just wondering are you dealing with similar stuff over there or how's it going how's the pandemic kind of restrictions been going for you guys in switzerland um switzerland's actually been quite easy going throughout um it does sort of up and down obviously and there have been some restrictions reinforced uh, recently like you have to wear a face mask in public transport and in supermarkets hmm. um but they've just i think as of october you're allowed gatherings of over a thousand people and so oh, wow. but throughout um you've actually been allowed outside and sports activities and everything schools closed for a bit and so did like gyms and and swimming pools and but all outdoor activity was never i mean was never avoided yeah. 
forbidden. So Switzerland on that scale was actually really quite good. Although I wasn't in Switzerland for the beginning of lockdown, I spent two months in France and that was a lot stricter. But all, all my friends over here, <laughs> I had one friend who's a school teacher, he said, oh, it was absolutely great. He just, he's a triathlete as well. And um, he didn't go to work for like the, the, the whole end of the school year. And he <laughs> yeah, just yeah. He spent every day on his bike and he thought it was great. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's not great on so many other levels. So um, it's all very well riding your bike every day, but um, obviously we'd all rather it wasn't around and, and yeah. it was a little less serious than it actually is. Absolutely. And when it started, did it, I know you were saying you were in France there, did it kind of, did your training kind of suffer in any way or did it improve or did it change at all? Like the amount of training you got done or the quality of it, say for instance, the swimming pool's closed here. So a lot of us didn't get to swim for a long time, you know? Oh, my changing just, my training changed overnight. It was, I was actually in Calpe in Spain. Um, I was based there for the spring. I had a little studio and it was great. And um i think they closed the pool one friday and by the saturday they were saying right you've got to stay at home and by monday uh you won't be allowed out at all and spain was really really strict and yeah. my partner guillem actually happened to be there and he'd driven down a few days before and we literally just chucked everything in the car and drove back to france where where his mom and dad live and uh we stopped there and within a few days they'd locked france down as well and that was a lot stricter than switzerland so i was I was on a property which was thankfully huge so we actually designed a little 1k running track through the forest and the field and and I could run on that and I ordered a treadmill but essentially for two months I didn't get out of that property I was like we were behind the gates and we could go shopping once a week um, but it was very strictly controlled and it was a different world yeah yeah yeah, definitely no swimming for two months that was I mean, I, I'm a swimmer. I was yeah, a swimmer. you come from a swimming background, and that was probably the longest I've ever been out of the water. Just yeah, it was weird. It was weird, but you find other things. You find other things to do, and 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 yeah, we had we had work as well. So yeah, at the start, you're right. At the start, we um, complete lockdown. You know, in, in the house, I like bought a, an archery set and everything online. <laughs> I was trying to find anything. I, I even bought a um, what was it? what's it called slack lining you know where you oh you no talk. way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i was trying to find anything to do <laughs> it was hilarious yeah, but, uh, oh, I, did, I ordered a treadmill though but it, it took it took a, about seven weeks to get there and we were only there for like 10 so i used yeah. it for a few weeks but it was yeah it was difficult but but yeah. yeah you do find other things to do and we did a lot of uh tree cutting and forest cleaning and um yeah just all kinds of things you wouldn't do otherwise. Yeah, the skipping actually, I got heavy into the skipping at the start as well. Um, following a guy on Instagram, you know, one of these kind of um, does all the tricks and stuff, but it's lethal. <laughs> uh, he's absolutely lethal. But it's a great exercise as well, you know. It is, and it's so yeah. it's so useful for the running. Yeah, it was yeah, actually quite a lot of coaches will actually. Yeah. I did I did a little skipping, not a lot, but but even from a cardio point of view, you can get quite a good workout done yeah, in very little time. Yeah. So, yeah, I was making up mad workouts with weight vests and skipping and everything. Can you do it backwards? Because I just couldn't do it backwards. I can't. I tell you, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm doing, I do um, boot camp classes, you know, I'm a fitness instructor. And um, I, I was introducing the guys to skipping there not only last week as a warm up. I brought up some ropes because um, I had a load here. And, you know, I was there doing all the tricks I had learned, thinking I was great. This girl rocks up and starts skimming, skipping backwards. And I was like, oh, that's the one I didn't learn. I was fuming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was a PE teacher a few years ago, and I had a whole load of different aid groups and everything. And, and I had a class of 12-year-olds, and 
and I put some music on, I gave them all the rope and you know, the boys, they're kind of standing around going, Ooh, I'm going to do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And the girls are just getting them out and they're doing the, the twisty turns with the crossover and everything. And it was like, well, okay, yeah. I'm not, I can't demonstrate any of this. So, so you pull up one of the kids to show them how it's done because <laughs> it's a bit too embarrassing if you do it yourself. You need to practice. You need to practice. But Camille, you mentioned that you're from a swimming background. Can you tell us a bit about that? How, how you got into it? Was it through your parents or siblings got you into swimming? Um, and what age no, was that at? I think it was just really kind of standard, really. I got put into swim school so I didn't drown in the lake. And, yeah. and one thing led to another. And um, they took me to like a little swim race when I was nine. And, and, then, and then it just escalates, doesn't it? I think that's what swimming well swimmers usually end up doing and hmm. my mum and dad unfortunately know every single swimming pool in Switzerland that they have to drive to every other weekend um and I was also I, I did some horse riding as little girls do but uh, when it came down to it I think especially in Switzerland the swimming was quite a lot cheaper than the horse riding yeah, yeah, yeah. so I ended up being a swimmer rather than a, than a, a dressage um rider um hmm. and I did that until I was about 16 um but if you're not sort of tall and lanky and strong and if you haven't made it by the time you're 16 in swimming uh, you don't really have mm. much of a chance and I, I was bored of just counting the tiles and following the black line and yeah yeah um, that was kind of how I yeah how I got into triathlon really kind of bored of swimming and w like would you class the swimming because you have the background as the strongest of your three disciplines um you might laugh but it was actually a real struggle for me for a start I was never a freestyle swimmer I was more of a 200 medley and breaststroke swimmer so um I could never I couldn't sprint to save my life and I wasn't very good at freestyle but the the main issue I had was that I couldn't swim in open water I was scared shitless of it because wow. there was no black line there was no um there's no floaters I mean you, you, yeah there was there was nothing around and you didn't know what was down there and all the beasts yeah. and, yeah. and what's going to eat you and <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for for years, I just I I I get onto a start line and and I'd just be scared and and my swim performances in the in open water would never ever reflect the times that I was swimming in the pool. Yeah. And the girls would just swim away from me. And it was that because of the fear, the fear of being, the open water. That's why your swim time suffered. Yeah, I think so. And unconsciously, obviously, you're you're tense. And even if you think you're not, you 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 got it, and mm. it's going to be okay. There's something about it that just doesn't really work. And then you, and the style, obviously, the stroke just isn't the same. Yeah. And you come from a swimming massive kick, um, catch up swim stroke, transitioning to open water, it just doesn't work. You get one wave and you and you've lost a meter. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was very different. And and even as a swimmer, I've had to adapt to my swimming style massively. And I, I suppose I'm better, but don't ask me to, to like swim in the sea with the waves and but just yeah so when they cancelled the swim in Ironman Cork last year I was like oh whatever fine well, that was, that was one of I was wondering would that have, would you have been disappointed because you, your swimming background and would it have made any kind of difference or did you feel that you kind of lost a bit of bit of an advantage before the race obviously you didn't won anyway but would you have lost an advantage because the swim wasn't in it so I'm not a bad swimmer when it comes to triathlon. I mean, I'm mm. not up there with the fast girls and I usually lose the front group quite quickly, but, but it, it does give me a, a, an advantage. I, I'm, I'm one of the ones that people are chasing rather than me playing catch up. That's definitely sort of the race dynamics. So, right. uh, it, it does give me a slight edge, but uh, no, I think Cork by the end of it, it was so miserable. I think by, by the end of it, people were just like, oh, just get me on the course. Let me race. I'm yeah. fine. Just, yeah. 
let me do whatever but as long as the race goes ahead and i was just happy to be out there racing yeah absolutely when did you start picking up the biking and the running then um oh, i was i was 16 when i when i transitioned to to triathlon but i only did a couple of years like as a junior mm. um and then and then i was just a bit burnt out from all the years of competitive sport and and i went off and studied and did other stuff but i think that the turning point on the bike for me was my mum and dad had given me a uh, this super road bike for my 18th birthday it was gorgeous bike carbon frame like the first 10 speed mechanical group set and and when i gave up triathlon it sat in the garage for for months and, and i actually felt quite guilty that they paid all this money for this bike and i was doing nothing with it and thought oh, i should better get on it so i got on it and it was just a revelation because all of a sudden i i didn't have the stress of racing or training i could just go out and ride my bike and and i and I rode it up mountains and all of a sudden this is a whole new world was there. And, um, and that hasn't gone. So that was 18 was probably the turning point on the bike and the running was just, yeah, I, I ran because I had to run for the triathlon and, right. and yeah, it's, it's, it's not my favorite discipline, but I, I enjoy going for runs. Yeah. And did you join any clubs for the bike on the run to help you kind of uh, come on for triathlon? Or were you just uh, training actually, by yourself? to be honest it's like a long time ago um no I, I was part of a couple of triathlon clubs to begin with even just for the just the swimming and um but i've always mainly into the last three years i've always had a coach who's coached me specifically so i've done a lot of the training on my own yeah or, or with a few friends not necessarily in a club environment although i am a member of the of the triathlon club down the road and when i'm around i, I kind of enjoy just catching up with people and yeah. I'm going for a swim in the lake so it's it's a nice atmosphere but I tend to train alone a lot because it's just easier to fit in around work yeah. and even just with the the training structure yeah it'd be and similar now I'd, I'd rather well it's not that I'd rather train on my own it's just as you say like yourself with work you know I work generally when clubs and stuff are have their sessions on you know in the evenings with, with fitness classes I work in the evening so yeah but it is it is nice a nice change to jump into a group isn't it it does give you that extra motivation and yeah. and and often variation because well I don't know if you if you coach yourself or if you have a coach or I do end up doing the same things over and over whether it's yeah. by myself or with a coach and and all of a sudden you go training with other people and they're doing other stuff because yeah. that's what they do and and it just switches it. Yeah, you just and, and you, it's just almost impossible to push us you can push yourself but you never push yourself to your max when you're on your own you just don't do it. Like, um, <laughs> But in terms of them, um, that's why I got my uh, my 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 partner comes out riding with me every now and then, and and he's strong. And I know when I go riding with him, it's it's hang on to the back wheel for dear life until until you, yeah, until you're blown off basically. Uh, so he's your secret weapon, so <laughs> my motor pacer. <laughs> but you you know you're not just a professional triathlete. You, you, we mentioned there work like you you work on your own business, and um, tell us a bit about that and what what that entails for you. Um, I've actually worked, aside from one year when I was with the Sutter squad, I've actually worked throughout my triathlon career just because I find that it gives that balance and you're not, triathlon is so, it's quite individual and when you really get into it, you spend hours and hours just thinking about yourself and focusing yeah. on what's going right or what's going wrong or the numbers or the next race or whatever it is and and sometimes I find that can get sort of really overwhelming and, and all consuming. And, and if there's the slightest thing that's wrong or off, 
it just swallows you and and you just can't step back and figure out what's actually wrong and, and, and correct it and just having something on the side has always been just sort of the mental balance mm. um, of being able to uh, train and then stop, get changed, go off and do something else. And and I've done I've done loads of different jobs over the years. Uh, um, and now we just happen to have our own business. And um, obviously, I grew up in Switzerland, but I my mum and dad are British, so I've got that um, the language. Um, advantage so i translate yeah. a lot and, and i'm a copywriter and um i can i can earn money through that and that's what the business is set up as um but it's just a continuation of what i've been doing for the whole sort of triathlon game really i think is it's, it, it more difficult help. or is it is it more difficult for you to fit your training in around being um you know working for yourself or is it easier to schedule it in um it, it kind of depends on the on the on the quantity of work because it's not uh, it's not regular and and there are waves where yeah. and so it just depends on the month and some some months it's more sport focused and and a little bit less work focused and then other months like right now hmm. um the work just sort of dictates the rhythm and and I'll get up in the morning and I I'll, I'll get through all the projects first and I'll, I won't get on the bike until about sort of 10 or 11 but it's it, it changes and it's that variety I like as well because I tend to get bored quite often and I know structure probably helps a lot of people but um, it works for me for about two months and then yeah. and then I've got to change it because I just get bored so having that sort of difference it's maybe not great for consistent training but it keeps things entertaining let's yeah, put it that way yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and and sure. obviously you do have to adapt the training to the workload because if you're stressed and you're not sleeping properly then you can't train with the same intensity or volume because you just break mm. so yeah. yeah it's just knowing when to start and stop we were talking earlier about um challenge galway it was one you'd done i think i think it was 2015 actually if i remember and it was one and done it was only a one year uh thing the challenge here. galway 2016 the first one was it 16 yeah i'm pretty sure it was 16 because i i it did it right, off the yeah. back of iron man nice i think yeah, you've a better memory yeah. than me. You're probably right, actually. Yeah, and uh, I done that. Uh, you done uh, the half one, didn't you? I did the half, but I think everybody was in the same race on that one. But it was half. Oh, it was. It was a bit mental, wasn't it? Oh, it was a disaster. <laughs> it was a. F- oh, thank me, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. The weather. The weather was actually weird because I remember. Um, I, when we cycled out toward, I think you cycled through a couple of counties there. You cycle into Clare. Do you, I don't know if you're familiar. Did you do with, the full? I done the full, yeah. So okay. I'm sure the bike was obviously different to a point. But um, when we cycled, we went out to um, the coast of Clare, and it was just like a, it was another world out there. And then when you came back into Galway, the sun was beaming. It was very strange in terms of. You had uh, sun. That was, yeah. I didn't see any sun. <laughs> like, we finished so late, probably. Well, I finished so late, that's what he was. You are, you are long gone Maybe. at that stage. Maybe. But um, it was, like for me, you know, it was, it was a great race for me, though, in terms of um, I had a nightmare on the bike with loads of punctures and loads of mechanicals and stuff. So I lost literally over an hour and a half. But it was, it was great. In t- I talked about this a few times on the podcast. I think it was a great one. Um, it was my best race in terms of kind of um, 
building resilience and mental strength you know that way yeah. it's one i always talk about and mm-hmm. i'll forever love that race because of, of what happened on the day and, and kind of changed my mindset um can you remember much about the race other than the weather like how it went for you by, by the way for people listening um emma won that race um i can actually remember most um really tough races that i think every race i've had in ireland i've really enjoyed because to be honest the conditions have just been shit every single yeah, one yeah. of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's so, I mean, <laughs> what it is um and i have some really good friends in in ireland so every time i've been there it's been a really really just lovely experience despite the weather um and Galway was just, I mean, the organization, that, it was the first time they were running it and uh, they, I, I, nothing just really went to plan, I think, mm, for them, mm, unfortunately. Yeah, so yeah, um, they, did, they did what they could, um, but there were some elements that were just beyond their control, including the weather. So all I remember it was just standing as a great picture of all the pros standing on, that, on the shore of that, it, wasn't, it was like a lagoon, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it was the estuary, wasn't it? Um, um, yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, yeah. And we were just freezing because we'd been standing yeah. there for an hour waiting for the start and yeah. none of us, just our faces, it was like, just don't send me in there, I'm over yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and then the gun goes and everybody's in it and, and uh, I think it was Laura Siddle and Lucy Gossage were there as well. And I'm a slightly better swimmer than I, they are. So I came out of the water ahead and I remember just squelching through the grass in transition um and getting onto the bike and the, the full distance athletes were supposed to leave a lot earlier than we did but ended up just leaving starting 20 minutes ahead so yeah. i was swimming through them and then riding through them and i couldn't see anything for the wall of rain um and i was running tubulars i remember it's like oh please don't let me puncture please don't let me puncture on this hard shoulder which was oh it was, it was just gravel wasn't it yeah yeah oh the roads are shocking the roads are um, shocking, yeah. but but i'd never felt so strong in my life on a bike and i was just flying through this rain and i didn't unlike others i didn't miss any of the signs so i kind of more or less knew where i was going hmm. and oh, i was just in the run it was it was a battle against the wind all the way through um but it was and then i, t- I had this massive i won this on the podium we all got this massive jug of um of beer because it was sponsored by erdinger that's right yeah yeah and and laura and lucy just each tipped this these five liters of beer all over me and i walked back to the hotel just reeking (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it was it was it was really yeah it was a race to remember and and even i can't remember it was the night before the race or the night after but they put us up in a in a pub hotel in 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 yeah, in golf, I think. I was popping a pub hotel and there was a party going on. Right? It was it was all night and the breakfast room was the was the bar. So oh, we were sitting there eating breakfast and the guys were just finishing up the night. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was great. Oh I just yeah, I have really great memories from and I have some really good friends in Galway as well. So it was one of them took me swimming. Um there's a uh, it's like a diving board, isn't it? Oh, Salt Hill. Yeah, it's very, um, yeah. very well known. Yeah, Salt Hill Promenade. Um, big it. diving board, people diving yeah. in. Yeah. yeah. And a couple of days before the race, he took me swimming there, and, and the water's 13 degrees. And I was looked at because I was wearing a wetsuit. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the foreigner. <laughs> like a label on my forehead. <laughs> But um, no, it was um, really, really good memories of going. Yeah. 
Outside of um, Challenge Galway, and we talk a bit about Cork as well now in a bit, you, you've had a good few um, podium finishes and a good few wins as well, and really impressive ones. Do any others outside of the Irish ones stand out, and, and for what reason? Um, Ironman Nice obviously was my first full Ironman, and, yeah. and I'd just been thrown in at the deep end by, by my coach at the time. Um, and I never expected... That was Brett Sutton at the time, was it? Uh, yeah, I was training with um, with Brett Sutton. And, and three weeks before the race, he said, right, you, you're going to Nice. And, and I didn't have much choice in the matter. And, and it was it was an eye-opener. And, and I'll always remember it because I went down with a couple of friends. And just the whole experience for me was... I, know, I don't know if you remember your first like full Ironman. Or, Absolutely. But it's, all of a sudden, it's like, wow, my body can do this. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah. It was just I got onto the run and and I just I fully expected to to just explode um, because I hadn't been feeling great on the bikes for at least a hundred k's because <laughs> I made a mistake of riding up the first hill on the big ring and it's a pass it's like a pass but Sato is all about like the big gear stuff so yeah. I rode up this pass on the big ring and got to the top and I was cooked and I have no idea how I made it to the transition it was just like the longest bike ride of my life um, and actually it was because I had never ever ridden 180k's in one go before then um and I got into the run and my legs ran uh and and it was just yeah it was it was just a really crazy experience sort of out of body type thing um so that was definitely uh one that stands out and what others I have Juez 2018 um because I'd spent quite a few years trying to get back from injury um and it's probably the hardest race I've ever done, uh, just from a physical point of view, because you right. have all this climbing on the bike and then you have 20 Ks at altitude and it's not full Ironman, but it could, it could be, yeah. I mean, just yeah. the effort involved was, was more than I'd ever done. Yeah, I didn't manage nutrition and bonked on the bike and then obviously had a hard time staying in front of everybody on the run and just ended up, but I fought for it. And, and that was, um, for me, that was also, it's not, it's not something I always do in a race uh, because I'm not, I'm not as competitive as, as, as maybe I come across and, and that race, I just gave it everything. And, and, and I remember, I remember it for that, aside from the fact that uh, I did win, which was cool, but it was also, I'd been coaching myself for a bit and I'd had a lot of injuries and just to be able to come back and win that kind of race, um, was, was, yeah, it was just really nice for me. Brilliant. It was good memory. Um, but Oh, you do so many races over the years, don't yeah, you? It's, yeah. it's, it's not that they all blur in because individually, I think I'd always, I'd always pick them out. I mean, I can remember my first 70.3 win in Putrajaya, which is in Malaysia. That was quite special as well because my mum was there and I'd been traveling for a few months and, and all this heat and humidity and, and yeah, all of a sudden I, I, I won this, this race and I never expected to. So you always remember that as well. And how do you pick your races? Uh, you mentioned there, Brett Sutton put you into the nice one, but outside of that, when you're training yourself, like, do you pick the hard ones? So that's why you pick Cork, or what? What way do you decide um, on a race like? Um, usually just gut. Yeah. Uh, I just I've done a few races in the past which I haven't wanted to do, and obviously they're a disaster because if you don't want to, your head's not in it. And yeah, it's just generally a bad idea. Um, mm. And I used to race a lot and. And there were consequences to that, of course. Um, and yeah. I've learned that you can't do everything. So I, I pick the races I really want to go to. And, and also, you kind of have to 
you know your strengths as well and i'm never going to be the fastest swimmer i'm not the strongest bike rider i'm not the best runner or the fastest out there by any stretch of the imagination and i need to pick the races where maybe i can do well because of different aspects and that was one of the reasons i went to cork was because i knew it was going to be a hard race and that if i was lucky it was going to be horrendous yeah yeah <laughs> you got your wish uh, for sure <laughs> yeah and i felt really bad about it to be honest i thought oh maybe that was me because it was gorgeous <laughs> until the day before and it was gorgeous the day after and then between like 10 p.m and then all day race day it just shucked it down and i thought oh maybe that was me <laughs> um, <laughs> but um yeah i tend to just pick out the hard races and because i don't like sitting in a pace line and and i don't think that that's what would play to my strength my strengths anyway um you you were talking there about training with brett sutton you trained with him for a few years did you and i i actually read um chrissy wellington's book obviously so hearing some of his um some of his his tactics for getting you to train in dungeons and throwing you into mad races and what was that like training with himself oh and did you ever train with chrissy as well by the way no she was before my time if you like gone, no yeah. so, um i mean nicholas berg was always there and and daniela reef was around as well yeah and a lot of the bigger athletes but i spent oh how many i spent eight months in one go and then we did another few months uh sort of a year or so later but i mean it didn't work for me um but he's a very interesting person to to know and very astute and mm. i mean his training methods may be a little inflexible or may appear so but uh, he's very clever at, at seeing at what just looking at an athlete and and figuring out how tired they are or um and it, it's very interesting and the training i did with him was just so completely different to what i'd been doing before and i think that switch um just took me to a whole new level but in saying that i also raced I was actually writing it earlier for some questions somebody else asked. And in, in the space of seven months, six months, I did three fulls, seven halves and two Olympics. Wow. And, and I got to September and it was, I was done. Smash. But yeah. mentally as much as physically, I, I don't know how much of the balance was mental and how much was, there's, there's lots of things involved. And I, he called me the little cabbage and there was probably a reason for that um, because because the mental side of sport is is just so much more important than the physical side when you get to that level and it's something that i've always struggled with and i'm happy to admit it and and it's something that i really really have to work on in fact i listened to a, a podcast this morning um uh, lucy gossage was on the bbc talking about um like self-talk and how to mentally approach um like training and racing and 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 day-to-day -day stuff and and so much of it resonated because because you have to you have to put yourself in that position where you're confident enough to to go and take these races on and and if you don't have that ability then obviously the performance even if physically you're capable of doing it it's it's just not going to materialize mm. and and brett had, had very clearly i mean he put his finger on it. he knew exactly what what my issues were and but his way of maybe communicating with me just yeah. didn't work or maybe yeah. i just wasn't ready to listen to him yeah. and and i think that was the failure if, it, yeah. if you want to call it a failure well, not that was everyone's more. the same you can't you can't um you know use the same methods on 
people are different you know you have to exactly yeah and what might work for one just doesn't work exactly absolutely yeah but i learned so much it was i'd say so yeah yeah i'd say so yeah so you took a lot from that and and used it to your own advantage when you trained yourself yeah but it also took me quite a long time to recover from it because that just physically racing and traveling i think physically um i we i took quite a big hit and and it's only now that i look back and think you know, the last two years or the last three years, I, my body's actually spent trying to recover and building back up yeah. from that. And it, it seems forever, but you probably know yourself, you need so many years to actually build that real fitness base to take that Ironman base. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, some people are very talented, but that strength only comes after so many years training. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only natural that if you've gone overboard, you're going to need that amount of time just to come out the other side and yeah. and and I think I'm getting there now but yeah it's, it's taken that long <laughs> so. so we were talking about Cork there a couple of times and I think you already answered why why you picked Cork because of the, the conditions really was, was that it and obviously you have friends here. there were two there were actually to be fair there were there were two there were two reasons um one was I was actually meant to do Ironman Nice which was a week later but I put myself under so much pressure mentally to go back to Nice mm. and perform that I couldn't do anything but go to Nice and 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 not win the race, but at yeah. least be in the be be up there. Yeah. And and I realized a month or so out that I was just it was, it was too it was too much. It was too much. Yeah, and a lot of pressure. Yeah, and and Ireland was just before, and there were no thoughts of Kona of Kona or anything. It was just like you know what, I'm going to go to Ireland because I like the place. I've done well there before and it might just be horrible enough that other people might not cope as well in the conditions. And, and, and yeah, that's exactly what I got. And, and standing in transition the day before, um, one of the other girls was standing there with her bike and, and she was, she wasn't complaining about the road. She's going, Oh, the, the road surface is so bad. I've, I've got two tubulars with me because because it's just terrible. And, and I stood there and thought, you know what? This is why I'm here. Because you've given up already. Yeah. And 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 yeah, it's happened a few times and you just learn what, what your head wants to do and what your body wants to do. And and to be fair on her, it was horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The way that was I was watching it on telly okay. here, I was it was absolutely insane myself and my wife were watching the camera was a lot was on yourself and brian mccrystal yeah um for a lot of it obviously on the run because he's well leading and alistair were chasing down um mm. brian and you were chasing down um with anya I yes anya. yeah 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 uh, lovely moment back. actually lovely moment when you passed her Um, i actually wanted to ask you what she said to you because it was a nice moment of sportsmanship <laughs> which you kind of waved you on and could you hear what she said to you? <laughs> no, but I knew she was struggling because she's got some, she had some back issues. She's yeah. actually had a baby since, but um, she she had some back issues and running wasn't quite her strength. But I didn't expect to see her so soon. Hmm. But I mean, there was yeah, the, the, that moment um, was sort of shared quite a lot on social media. But yeah. I also <laughs> there were quite a lot of comments about it, and it's like, well, what else am I really gonna do? And um some people were also laughing it's like she was going oh please please yeah, go uh, yeah 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 that sort of thing but it's um there couldn't have been a negative comments was there oh no no well there were 
it, it wasn't quite negative, but it, it, it was, um, I think there's a lot of respect. That's what I like about the triathlon. There's a lot of friendliness and respect between the athletes. Yeah, yeah. And before and after the race, we'll, we'll happily chat and there's no... There's no, no, I don't mean... I don't mean... Uh, and, I don't mean from the other... Um, athletes at all no 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 I, I, talking about on social media was there a negative comments about nah, not not particularly negative no it was just well what else was she going to do yeah I yeah think. absolutely yeah, absolutely yeah. um and yeah it was it was the encouragement i could give her then and and it was sort of the the support she could give me um but it was it just seemed perfectly normal to me yeah, and yeah, and that's what i like also about triathlon i mean it was the same and uh, Lindsay really struggled on the bike and got really cold and mm. and as you go past her you, you you just ask her is she okay does she yeah. need help yeah there's no you're not going to just going to tear past and ignore somebody who's yeah, clearly yeah. in a bad place out on the road so of course yeah i think that's quite yeah what was your reaction when you when you first found out that the swim was cancelled like was it um obviously with the weather there must have been some kind of relief there i know we talked a bit about the swim well, was there anything else like did it affect you mentally or did you have to change your your tactics mentally or you know with uh, nutrition or anything on the on, mm. like at a at a click of the fingers because it was announced so late well to be fair we got to transition at what what 6 a.m or whatever it was and the boys weren't out so i kind of i mean no shit sure. i mean you, you know yeah they weren't gonna they weren't gonna hold the swim they hadn't yeah. put the boys out and yeah. there was clearly too much current or it wasn't safe enough for them to send 2000 people into the water. And I totally respect that. Yeah. Professionals are one thing, but you're an Ironman. You do see a lot of people who, who struggle with the swim. And I think they do have a responsibility to keep everyone safe. So I, w I didn't expect to swim. I kind of maybe expected to duathlon, but I don't think the area was, was um, wider. They just, they just couldn't get everybody through. There was too many bottlenecks and yeah. just logistically it just didn't work. Um, but, but no, you're, you're in the zone and you just adapt to whatever is going to be thrown at you. So we had to wait an extra hour. Fine. We had to get dressed for the bike. We got dressed for the bike. It wasn't, it was just a, it's more of a, you're in the game already. So yeah. you just do whatever you got to do. The only, the only thing through, it was just so unsexy because <laughs> we, we, were, we stood in front of the line and we had to sort of push our bike over the, over the start line and then climb on it and go in front of all these spectators and you're wearing bike shoes and you just look like a total idiot trying to get onto your bike <laughs> with everybody looking <laughs> it's like this isn't very pro but yeah we're just gonna roll with it so was there were you spaced out on the bike in terms of i thought there was like a um couple of seconds minute intervals was it a minute was or two minutes between each pro i don't know what they did for the where, yeah. the, the guys behind us right it was a couple of minutes for us yeah 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 and what kind of that feel like was it more like then like a tt kind of feel to it where you're chasing down someone and, and trying to keep away from the people behind you Did, was it any different okay. to what a normal man would be like no it was definitely different because the race dynamics are, mm. are totally different um when you're setting off you don't really know where everybody is and you overtake someone you're trying to figure out in your head so two minutes i was two minutes ahead or she was two minutes ahead so now i'm catching but in the end, the girls' field was, was so small that it didn't really make much difference. Mm. Um, you just rode your own race and you were alone. I think I rode with the Dutch girl for a little bit. We kind of swapped leads um, a couple of times on some of the draggy hills. But um, I think the men's race was, was different because there was a bit more 
a bit more density and the dynamics were sort yeah. of, it was a kind of race dynamic. Whereas for us, it was just, you just rode your 180k right. and got through right. it and got up Windmill Hill right. yeah. as best yeah. you could. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, like I haven't been down there on it, but I heard, uh, heard it's very, very tough, very yeah, I, I'm Swiss and I'm used to hills, and that was something else. Yeah, <laughs> that, that yeah. says it all there. Then really, doesn't it? It was a crazy. <laughs> it was a crazy hill. Yeah, and I think they they pushed the ambulance up it at one point because it got stuck, and you had to make sure you didn't ride over the manholes because they were slippy and That's your back wheel just skid. Put cones um, on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was interesting. Really yeah, yeah, something different. Keep you uh, exactly. <laughs> keep you thinking. Exactly. But you exactly. had a nice little trick for the uh, the cold, which a lot of people suffer with the hands on the bike. You had a little trick yeah. to do. What, do you want to tell us a bit about that? <laughs> to be to be honest, I can't actually. It's not my idea. So it actually did come from Brett Sutton, um, and Nicholas Biggers as as. So I, I wore marigold dish gloves because because they 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 keep out the water and they've got a grip on them so you can you can hold your handlebars without slipping off even when it gets really wet um and and yeah i didn't get cold and other people did um and i i do think that is what what definitely saved my run so i just got off the bike and started running and i was absolutely mm. fine there was no cold or anything yeah. um yeah it's, it's it's mad how something so small can have such a big impact yeah. on it on a, on a race like that like because going into that, going into the run you know cold for me personally if my hands are cold i'm just i'm just no use like for the rest of of a, no. of a race you know so no. to have um to go into a, a marathon run feeling cold is just it's 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 horrible no you just need to get going i tried with i actually had plastic bags over my feet as well which is another cycling trick yeah i just your sort of socks into plastic bags and then put them in your cycling shoes. Yeah. But that yeah. was, that didn't work at all. I literally no. within a kilometer, the, the plastic bag is burst and I'm like, <laughs> so, full credit to Irish roads. So, the uh, tin yeah. foil is, is one they use here as well, but it's more for is snow. It? It's more for the snow. Tin foil or cling film. And uh, okay. like the tin foil wouldn't be waterproof now, but. It's meant to keep you a bit warm. I've done it once and the tinfoil just disintegrated in me. So I've never done it again. Yeah. I am I am quite impressed though with you guys because um you know you know Rob from Weirworks. Absolutely, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sponsor of the show. Quite, Rob's quite a good friend of mine and <laughs> and, and he sent me pictures of, and they're riding outside in and it's zero minus five degrees and mm. they're out mm. in all kinds of weather and it's like, oh hats off. Yeah. Never in a million years would you get me on a bike in those conditions. Yeah, well, it's you know we get probably two days of summer a year, so we've no choice really. <laughs> yeah, it takes some, it takes some, some doing though. Yeah. Just going out for hours in those temperatures. The run section now, like I love running in the rain, I do, but that just looked insane. Like as I said, we were watching here on the telly, and you couldn't even make you hardly make it out with the the rain on the camera. It was so heavy. What was it like? And then when you obviously you had that pass and and did you like did you know you were winning at that stage uh, yeah you did you did well sorry um yes i definitely i knew i was winning and and i knew anya wasn't i don't i caught up quite a lot of time in 5k so i knew she wasn't gonna yeah. try and hold on yeah. or anything and i didn't know where Lindsay was but i figured out quite quick that she'd have pulled out and there was nobody else to be honest yeah um it, close so i could just I could just run my race and, and I got tired on the last 10k obviously like we all do but it was very much uh, just control it and and stay focused until the end because it's not over yeah. until it's over so, and what was it like then crossing the line 
was there relief yeah yeah it was like oh, oh i can i can stop now <laughs> um and but you don't you're kind of in a different headspace and um, you don't realize until until a few days after that you've actually won the race or i didn't anyway it was like oh all this climbing is for me and woohoo i've won the race and and you kind of smile as you are but you're just knackered you, you're mm. exhausted and yeah. and then and then it's there's anti-doping and and yeah you just get caught up in it all and you don't really register that you actually won the race until until a few days after that was what happened to me anyway and you, you um, got the automatic corner spot then um yes yeah you, t- you took that up like I, I was just reading about it there earlier actually um you want to tell us a bit about the, the i don't want to you know keep you too long ago in depth into this but you had a bit of a disaster at kona then didn't you yeah and something i try i tend to avoid talking about it because it's really tough but in another sense yeah. i know i should just talk about it to get over it because it's still very much a bit of an issue but i yeah i i, I got my kona slot i took it um and i went to kona and everything had been going really well until four days before the race and and i was out testing sort of just like you know the last last adjustments time to um tt helmets on and yeah. and and everything just and i had my head down and i was on a massively wide hard shoulder just i was doing 45k an hour at least and 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 a car full of tourists had stopped to take some pictures on the roadside and and i didn't see it and i went plowing into the back of it and I was lucky enough that I was on the outside and hit the bumper and went continued, just went out into the road rather than stopping. Um, and the worst of it was that um, my partner and my dad were in the car behind me and they had the window down, they were screaming at me, but because I had this time trial helmet on and I just couldn't, and the wind in Kona, I couldn't hear. and and. Anyway, the race was over. Uh, there was no way I, but I got away so much more lightly than what could have happened. You, um, had, you had a go at, at the race, didn't you? Um, yeah, I fine. swam. Yeah. I was just, my mum and dad had all the way across you know. the world to see me race. And so many people yeah. were, I had like a little crowdfunding campaign going just to get me there. And, and the, the hardest for me was that so many people were behind me and, and I felt I'd let them down and, and I just couldn't get over that. It was just like, I've come all the way here. I was, it was just, and and mm. I've let them down. Oh, so I, I really struggled to get over that. But from a physical point of view, I had massive bra- um, bone uh, bruising, and right. my leg was just the size of a mm. well, it, was, it doubled, and I couldn't bend my knee. So I swam just because it was Kona, and I just yeah, wanted yeah. to be on the start line. Yeah. Um, I only had one leg, and I'd borrowed a bike because mine was in bits. Um, and I walked through transition. There's actually another Irish friend who was um, who works for Tri Bike Transport. So, uh, David, if you're listening to us, Dave, is this Dave Sheridan? Is that yeah. Second name? Yeah, 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 yeah. I met him um, in, in Rob's shop actually recently. Yeah, we went on train camp um, this uh, well, in January all together. It was cool. Very good, very good. Um, so, and David was standing there in transition because he was working for Tri Bike Transport and he was over. And he gave me a hug as I walked through because I couldn't run. So, I was walking through transition and everybody's cheering and they're like, why is this girl walking? <laughs> Uh, she should be running and um and i got on the bike and there was just no way yeah, no way yeah, i was going to make yeah, it on one leg yeah so but uh, yeah like, sorry yeah thanks for talking about that i don't, don't obviously don't want to okay. bring back any bad memories but does that give you kind of uh, a fire to get back to kona then 
well it did until this year happened right <laughs> and and now it's like uh we don't know which way it's which way it's going to go do we um it was like one day after the next and and i got very fit again this spring in spain and then everything stopped yeah. and then it looked like Embram was going to be the Embraman triathlon looked like that was going to run so i got super fit again for that and then 10 days before the event they well, cancelled that, that one, one. um yeah. and speaking with I, nikki bartlett about that one she was yeah, she, she was, was due to do that one as well yeah, yeah. yeah. and they were they were just uh waiting and waiting and waiting and it kind of yeah. last minute job wasn't it they were told it wasn't it was yeah it was definitely a last minute job and it's the same everything i literally just got before i got on to you 20 minutes before i got on to you i'm doing i think of two races left that aren't cancelled well one now 20 minutes before i was talking to you the second uh one of the two actually got a uh, cancelled so a one one run race left um in in september and it's the weekend of my 40th birthday so i'm really hoping for that one. <laughs> i'll keep my fingers crossed for you then. yeah, but yeah. It's, is it's, there not one around there's a weekend somewhere around uh where you are rob was telling me um there's a half there's a, an olympic and or a double olympic and olympic and a sprint or something over one weekend oh, uh, i think it's try a tie yeah um, yeah but like i, I haven't looked it is on your right but I, I haven't looked in the last few days it was only like two days ago we were hit with more restrictions so I know another whole batch of things just got cancelled. So it could be cancelled. Like I, I okay. haven't looked for it. To be honest, more than likely it is. Yeah. I'm signed up for a race on the 30th in France again. So it's another one of these sort of stupid hilly races. Um, and it's, it's on for now. And I raced in Italy as well, which was, which was very cool. It was a half distance in uh, I remember July, June, July mid-July anyway but yeah it's I think this year is going to be difficult for everyone and and um, I've got more work coming in so the balance has just shifted a bit and I'm trying to stay fit and when races come around again then I'll hopefully have a base to to then yeah yeah we're all looking forward to that definitely yeah 100% um just a couple of more short questions for you then right before I let you go um i know i've kept you nearly an hour here now but um, no it's my fault for just talking too much not at all we could talk to you all day to be honest but um would, would you try and come back and defend would you come back and defend your title at cork or is that on the cards or um i i don't tend to plan um mm. that far ahead so whatever happens during the season i'll kind of go with my instinct and gut and and i'll i'll yeah within two two months before the race i might consider it so yeah. I, I don't know and also, also I, I absolutely love cork and even the homestay was absolutely great but i like doing different races and i've not got that much time left in this sport yeah. i mean i'm 33 i mean i'm not cooked yet but You're a baby um, i'm not gonna be around forever and there's other races to do as well and i just like to see and do as much as i can have you have you taught some like when you would stop i know you're saying would you keep going like look at you know craig alexander was he 46 or and then I was actually sent another um, story about the old, I think the oldest active <coughs> triathlete, I think professional triathlete is, um, I can't think of her name, it's like a Dutch name or something, but she's 49. And she's doing uh, longer distance stuff now, you know, um, the Uberman. CD? Yes. The CD yes. 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 Exactly. Um, uh, yes would you go, <laughs> would you be interested in that or would you keep going or? Oh, I haven't really thought about it yet. I don't hmm. think I'm, I'm, I'm not You're done miles with off that now. Your miles after, let's <laughs> miles be honest. <laughs> but there's also other stuff I want to do. And yeah. um, I don't know. It's a tough question because 
there is a there is a point every season where I think, oh, you know what, I've done this enough. I think right. I'm not enjoying the racing so much. Maybe I should just go and do something else, or maybe I should call it a day. Mm. And then the fire comes back again, and yeah. then you do a bit more, and then you do another race, and you think, oh yeah, I'm still. But it's so it's it's so difficult. Too good to stop now. Will you stop? <laughs> That's, you have oh, to keep going. I don't going. know. Yeah. And, and then there's a whole thing about, and it's like, just cut me off if I'm going too long, but. That's uh, no, Yeah. Most triathletes kind of define themselves by, by, by triathlon and, and that's what they are. But mm. at the end of the day, you still, you've got to be yourself as a person as well. And the longer you sort of stay in the game, the more, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a difficult question, but. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at some point or other, you do have to let go of that triathlon image and, and yeah, just be yourself as well. So it's the eternal question of the retired athlete, I suppose, or future retired triathlete. It's like, where, yeah, what are you? And I'm not there yet, but it's kind of, it's definitely, in, it's definitely a thought. Mm, mm, mm. With the nutrition sizing, what, what kind of stuff, like, um, what kind of stuff would you eat while you're training and then what would you have on race day specifically I am not a reference in nutrition to be no. <laughs> skip past that one <laughs> um, no I, I tend not to stomach gels too well it's not that my, it's not that I don't stomach them my, my stomach is fine I just can't stand the taste of it right. um, so I, I tend to eat a good breakfast if I can get it down which doesn't always happen hmm. uh, because of nerves and then um solid on the bike if i can for the first few hours and then i'll have a, a handful of gels on the run um sort of different types of sort of uh, longer longer energy or or a bit yeah. more instant sugar. and would the solid uh, on the end. bike be like mm. fruit or would it be like some kind of bar um thing yeah energy bars uh, dried fruit I've had, I've been known to have um, nuts and marzipan as well, but that didn't work too well. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I avoid chocolate just because it gets sticky. Um, Haribo has worked in the past. Um, yeah. Whatever I kind of fancy on the day. And like during, during training and stuff, do you have go-to meals like um, for recovery, say, you know, uh, would you be, would you be focusing on, more fats, more proteins. Um, have you got a go-to kind of recovery meal? Uh, no, not particularly. But um, as much as I sound a bit sort of flippant about it, all I do, I do watch what I eat. Mm. Um, so it's quite high in fat with a lot of peanut butter, um, protein as much as I can get in without really eating any red meat because I just don't really like it. Yeah. Um, and sweets are just restricted to sort of like fruit and chocolate and the odd dark chocolate, Swiss chocolate and the odd ice cream. But um, there's nothing particular, but, but I do tend to make sure that everything is balanced and, um, and not processed and yeah. just, yeah, lots of fruit and veg. Has your training involved much over the years? I know we touched on that earlier when we were talking about training with Brett Sutton and you were doing crazy stuff, mm. um, crazy uh, distance and hours and stuff. Has it evolved? Obviously, it's changed since then, but has it, have you kind of you know evolved it in terms of for as you're getting older, say, has it changed much? What I do realise is that 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 base volume that I was talking about earlier and that strength, mm. I kind of have that now. So all those years of putting the work in, hmm. um, I find that I don't need to train quite as much now to reach the same level. Um, 
although obviously if you train a little less then the recovery time tends to be longer but i have definitely changed even just in the cycling um there were the sort of the brett years which were very much strength focused then I had a couple of years after where i trained more like a cyclist with yes. shorter sharper efforts um which improved me massively but on the other side i couldn't hold 180 k's without um losing quite a lot of power and energy so um i'm sort of working a bit more on strength and distance again now um but coaching myself means that i can i can pay attention to what's happening i can and i can adjust it how i see fit and um it might not always be the the best way to to train but i know my body quite well now yeah. and yeah so and it, it definitely you, has evolved over the you years yeah. throw in any kind of gym work or is it just all swim bike and run i did during lockdown yeah <laughs> <laughs> um did you get an archery set as well uh, sorry what was that <laughs> did you get an archery set oh no <laughs> dominoes oh, no, yeah. no. No, no, um, I, 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 no, look, I'm going to be honest with you. No, it, it used to, it used to figure in when I was, uh, when I started long distance triathlon, I had a coach who, who did quite a lot of strength, like very focused strength training in the mm. winter, but I'm quite a muscly person. And I just, I just, yeah, the shoulders just went boom. And I was like, okay, maybe let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I should do more strength and conditioning. And, and I just, it just kind of falls by the wayside with, with work, to be honest. So. The hours I should be putting into that go into other stuff. If there was mm-hmm. one piece of advice you could give to somebody for triathlon, um, doesn't matter what their level is, I suppose. What was the kind of best piece of advice you ever got that you you used and you implemented into your own triathlon career? Um, one is probably two. Um, one is two, yeah. <laughs> one is don't do whatever you don't want to do um it should never be um a chore i mean it should always be um it should always be fun and you should never go out the door thinking i really don't want to do this um because it's the it's the best way just it's just the quickest route to disaster really mm. you just tire yourself out and there's a reason you don't feel like doing it and you sh- i've learned to listen to that and one of the golden rules is if I don't want to do it, I don't do it. And and there have been training sessions that I've skipped, but I think it was probably the best decision on the day. And and at the end of the day, you end up doing more than you probably thought you would anyway, just because you want to. So um, keeping it fun would be the first one. And um, I forgot what number two was now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no oh, yeah i'll come back to it yeah well i tell you i have another question for you and if it pops into your head you can throw it in but similar to that like um the best piece of kit um that you've got that you've like so say for instance it doesn't have to be like your your bike that costs 10 Mm -hmm. grand or 20 grand yeah like the best little piece of kit that served you um probably served you the the most or the best and even in one situation like we were talking earlier about those gloves on the bike Something like that, one piece of kit that you couldn't do without even? Um, apart from my bike, which um, is a few years old now, and I just love it, and I just wouldn't change it because I just love riding that bike, and mm. that makes every training session a bit easier. Um, stupidly, just I think, a, like, a, you know the neck tubes above? Oh, yeah, yeah. I just use it for anything and everything from 
September to May, probably. Yeah. Um, just round your head, round your neck. And I've always got it with me. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, a water bottle for any situation. <laughs> um, wherever. Do you use, um, do you use <laughs> sorry, um, do you use a trainer much? A turbo trainer much? Um, again, I did during lockdown. Uh, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a really, good, really good tool. I use it a lot in the winter, especially if I'm spending the winter in Switzerland and you can't really get outside that course, much. Yeah. Um, I think for strength and oh, it's just you can't replace it. It's absolutely great, but it does tend to get really boring. And I don't have Zwift. Or I don't do Zwift either. I just, no. Uh, no, it's just not my scene. And oh, as soon as I can get outdoors, I'll get outdoors. But More yeah, no, I person, definitely yeah. think a trainer is 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 a really really good tool but anytime i can get out i'll go yeah. out i was blessed it's funny like the week i think it was probably even two days before we went into lockdown here i, I got um a trainer off robin wheelworks uh-huh. and that that would be my like i love getting out as well but because of that situation that was the best piece of kit i ever bought because i was just on it every day and we trained yeah. my cycling just went you know right up uh for yeah. a period there like so uh, like great piece of kit over lockdown for sure like yeah. you know but, yeah um, yeah you didn't think your second your second uh piece of advice for triathlon people going into oh, triathlon? i think it was uh i think it was um it was what i was saying before about uh, don't let triathlon define you because it, it is a very um all-encompassing sport i mean you get dragged into it you get sucked into it quite easily yeah. and there's a lot of there's a lot of marketing goes on around it as well. Yeah. And just the physical challenge is, it, it is very, very exciting. But yeah. you kind of tend to, I, I find personally, and I've done it, it just uses a perspective on life and it just becomes, it just eats away at you. And, yeah. Yeah. and if you're not a triathlete, you're nobody. And, and, and I think that that is, it can get a bit unhealthy. Yeah, and I've seen it in pros and I've seen it in age groupers. And at the end of the day, you're still who you are and, and it doesn't, yeah. It, yeah. it can't take over everything else. I was talking with Nikki, as I said last week or the week before, and she said exactly the same thing. You know, we are talking about how people kind of take it th- themselves too seriously in the sport, like, and, and they kind of lose the fun and the whole point of it, then, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, we're doing it, to, you know, for the enjoyment and getting fit and healthy yeah. and getting outdoors, and, yeah. you know, people buying I all the it. latest equipment and all, they just get too. I think, uh, like, it, it can help you define yourself. Like, Rob has all this story about um, going from a smoker to a Kona mm. qualifier. Mm. And, and I think, and there's another guy in, in the UK, um, what's his name? Um, oh, I can't remember. I think he was in prison or something. And now he's, and now he's a really, he's oh, a good not, athlete and a motivational speaker. And he's in Ireland. Called. In Ireland? Okay, I'm, maybe I've got it's it It's funny you say that. I'm going running with him in the morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jay <I> Redmond. <laughs> Oh no, yeah. it's yeah. Okay, maybe maybe there's another one. <laughs> Prison to pro. Yeah. Okay. Great. I mean, that can. I mean, it can help shape you as a person and define you and everything. But it, I just find that sometimes it's the other way around. Yeah. And and you just get too caught up in it, and it's not worth it. Yeah. 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 No. Great advice. Yeah. Listen, Emma. I've taken up so much of your time there. We're, we're going over an hour now. And yeah. Thanks, sorry about that. Not at all. Not at all. Delighted. And um, thanks as well for uh, sticking with it. We had a couple of issues at the start with the, the uh, connection and stuff and uh, my computer as well. So thanks a million for getting back on. I really appreciate your time. No, it's been, uh, it's been great chatting to you. I think two of those errors were mine. So <laughs> two good. more. 
Two and one to you. <laughs> two one. All right. And uh, maybe see you, uh, I don't know, Ironman Cork next year. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully we get a bit of sun uh, on that year as well. Oh, it's mad. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, it, like, I think you, I think you were, it was um, Ironman Wales. I don't Ironman Wales. I said this as well before in the podcast. And on the day of the race, it was opposite to what what you experienced in Cork. On the day of the race, the sun was splitting the trees down over in Wales, and then the day after, a hurricane rolled in, and like it was just insane. Like yeah. we were locked in, you know that way. So it's just it's a bit of luck, isn't it? Really, it's a bit of luck. But that's 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 what racing's about, isn't it? Yeah, you just, you've got to do what you got to do on the day. You've got to adapt, absolutely. Emma, thanks so much. No, thank you, and um, have a good evening. You too. All right, bye. Thank you.